Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. I got my haircut. <laughs> That's not news or politics. It's the first time I paid for a haircut since I was 14. That's so good. And it's the so first time of... I got a haircut. Like the last time I got a haircut was at the back of the men's toilets um, in on like the new road in Chatham. It's the one no, under, it's the, br- it's the, the, one under the bridge. Underneath the new road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the barber that was at the end of the urinals. It's the greatest. Uh, we looked up some stories from that, and like the guy before. The guy who was, uh, owned that uh, barber before um, the guy who cut your hair. Didn't he like go to prison for murder? He did. Because he went out with someone and then shot them with a shotgun. He did shoot someone with a shotgun. And to be fair, I expect better from my toilet barbers. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it was the first time I, I paid to have a haircut. It was weird. It's a weird experience having someone wash your hair. Did you think it would hurt? Um, because uh, you've, had, you've been kind of very extractive recently. Um, yeah. You've had a tooth out, you've had your well, hair cut. Well, I've always been afraid of haircuts, to be honest. I don't trust people with coming at me with knives. Oh, really? I don't trust anyone. Like, I haven't got a great deal of hair left, mm. and I hate going to the hairdresser because it's a massive hassle. Mm. But I really love the feeling of getting my hair cut. No, I don't trust oh, people. Oh, it's fantastic. I don't trust people at all to do that to me. Um, but yeah, it was right. And then some of those Turkish uh, barbers around here where they set fire to a, uh, like a, a cotton bud. And you can't put do it that around. with my hair. There's too much of it. Just like, because also for some reason my body has decided to do old man mutation early. <laughs> Not just by depriving my head of hair, but adding hair to my ears and to my eyebrows. <laughs> like I've got this long hair coming out of my eyebrow. Look at that. Oh my god, you're so gross and old. It's a proper. I guess it's like Irish genetics <laughs> or whatever. Having hair coming out of your ears and just. <laughs> I'm going to look like fucking Samuel Beckett. Like a fat Samuel Beckett. <laughs> Those gigantic eyebrows. I was thinking like a bog troll. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so yeah, I had a haircut. That's what, that's what I've done. Nice. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> I'm still not sure. I'm still feel really, I still feel really uncomfortable because someone washed my hair. It feels wrong. Oh, but that's so good. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've that's just been shaving my head with... I've just been cutting my hair with like clippers on my own for like a long time i've just always wanted that kind of super luxurious thing like because i don't like i shower and that's like it for my kind of self-care like yeah. like self-grooming regimen yeah um but i always like the idea of like going to a place in a toga <laughs> and just having you know everything everything cleaned up everything trimmed everything burnt off that needs to be burnt off <laughs> you just want an mot Essentially, yeah. If yeah. I could, if we could have some kind of national, like you know how if we had a proper national health service, you'd have like monthly checks or like cancer yeah. checks or things like that more regularly than, than spotting something and realizing you have a problem. Yeah, I want that, but also for grooming. If we have some kind of national grooming service, we could probably get rid of most of the dog grooming. You know how like there's like rows of shops and they'll have yeah. like a pizza place, a newsagent, and a dog grooming center. Yeah, yeah. you know, in the middle of Wisbeck. Yeah, um, we should have those, but they should be for humans, and they should be free at the point of access. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I see no problem with that. Yeah, so what's happening? Yeah, um, Stephen Pollard's an anti-Semite. I saw that. Oh God, yeah. What did he? What did he say? It was. Um... He said he saw Jeremy Corbyn's quite normal and standard criticism of. The financial crisis. Uh, bankers will never again be allowed to kind of control the economy we said that bankers, to the extent bankers, that they should. Bankers are afraid of him because he wants to yeah, get rid it. of them, that they, yeah. they fund the Conservative Party, 
And Stephen Pollard said, does this seem a bit dog whistle? Because it does to me. And yeah. it disgusts me. And it's like... Ah. I mean, also, Jeremy Corbyn was quoting an actual Morgan... I think it was Morgan Stanley meeting. Yeah. Where they said, Jeremy Corbyn is a threat to us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was fun. Um, so that's, yeah, great. It's great. But, you know, that's... fantastic. It's... Stephen Pollard is... I don't know why anyone would listen to him anyway, but, but you know, it's interesting to see... Where his mind is at. And <laughs> position and reach. Mm. Hmm. So, our first topic this week. Um, Tommy Robinson and UKIP. Yeah, UKIP that was and Tommy the, Robinson. They go together, on, don't they? That was on the weekend as well, wasn't it? There was, yes. a, there was the proud football lads. The, the football... The Jake Democratic Breeze. Football Lads Alliance. Interesting. Lads, lads, lads. Yeah. Um, as far as I can see in Sunderland, all I can see is lads. I saw that, what's it, Gerard Batten? <laughs> yeah. Um, they made a, They did a march in Sunderland to protest uh, supposed uh, rape gangs, Asian rape gangs, and okay. the police are ignoring it or not doing anything about it mm-hmm. um, while, you know, Tommy Robertson has just got out of prison for uh, interrupting a court case where they were prosecuting them. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Anyway, there's a thousand problems with there. I'm not really going to start taking, you know, I imagine the tips football, from the football lads. I imagine the football lads, the football boys, will be marching against the Church of England next. <laughs> um, but, you know. You mean probably. the Catholic Church? The Church of England as well. There's, oh, a, really? there's a big thing brewing with them. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm sure I've, I've read some stuff about that. But, you know, isn't that surprising? No. Again, they they've pivoted so many times. Like they tried to um, like link up with Pegida UK, yeah. which was the spin-off that Tommy yeah. Robinson tried to found. That didn't go anywhere. Right. Um, they've tried kind of going against masks. They've tried going against different things. This time they've gone on a we're really feminists angle. Yeah, we're pre- like me too. Yeah. Um, because oh, the first thing that I think of a group called the Football Lads is feminism. <laughs> um, especially when they march with Gerald Batten. Yeah. Uh, um, he gave a speech there saying that um, Islam is a murderous religion. Muhammad was a paedophile, blah, blah. I love blah, Gerald blah. Batten's speeches because they're equal parts like horrifyingly racist and mind-numbingly dull. Yeah. It's like he's managed to make kind of like rabble-rousing, blood-and-soil nationalism really boring. Like, you can't rouse anybody. It's quite impressive. Um, so, Tommy Robinson has been linked with uh, UKIP in the past couple of weeks. It's been talked about for a while, but the um, UKIP's family and children spokesman, Alan Craig, formally submitted a motion to be debated at their upcoming party conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, according to recent reports, this has actually been dropped according to a because of a procedural technicality uh the chairman emailed party members uh to inform them that the motion had failed because uh it had fallen foul of the party's rule book it was submitted by an individual rather than a constituent constituency association and mm-hmm. therefore was ineligible to be debated okay. um the motion in full read conference believes that tommy robinson stands on the long Do they call him e- tommy robinson oh yeah oh yeah well, let Tommy Robinson in. He doesn't exist. Yeah. I think the Tommy Robinson that he took the name from is dead. Because <laughs> he was an old football hooligan. Oh, I was think... he really? Yeah. Oh, is what... that where he got... He, he got put... the name from a famous football hooligan. From this day forward, Tommy Robinson is dead. <laughs> Say hello to Miguel Sanchez. <laughs> because, you know, he needed a name that, sound, that like sounded more 
rough and tumble than Stephen Stephen Yaxley Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Conference believes that Tommy Robinson stands on the long English tradition of anti-establishment rebels with a cause. From Robin Hood to the suffragettes and Nigel Farage. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Uh, It admires his campaigns both for hashtag free speech... That's in the thing. Hashtag free speech is in the motion. And to expose the authorities... <laughs> in the motion are there hyperlinks as well. <laughs> um, and to expose the authorities' decade-long silence and inaction over in- uh, industrial-scale child sexual abuse by rape gangs and request the NEC to offer him membership of UKIP. Oh, fuck that. Because this is all, like... This is coming off the back of the new... Cool kids of UK yeah. of Prison Paul, Saga uh, of a Cad, and uh, Count Dankula. Oh, just every, oh. what was it? I watched that Neil Hamilton video, that YouTube. Oh, it's so good. Where he's like, is he raising a glass of wine? And he's like, I hope Blood. they bring in the dankest of memes. Yes. And it's like, this is Vince Cable putting a hat on all over again. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> it's just. Oh, I do like um, <coughs> Prison Paul and Sargon's pivot now to videos outside pubs. I like that a lot. Yeah, um, uh, their their general kind of move from re like uh, being like Enlightenment liberals, like we are totally dedicated to science and reason. Yeah, we're reason fascists, if anything. Yeah. To I forgot my masculinity. Hold on. Let me yeah. go outside and get it. Let me just go drink a pint of snake bite outside this pub. Yeah. And, and like and, try and seem hard and about do, joining you. Do, do rollies. Yeah. Do rollies. Well, the thing that most people find completely fucking normal. Yeah, it's um I I've got a real issue with the God of Virginia. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I know it's just it's like joining it's just it's just wet. Wet, wet, wet. Yeah, but it's the it's the the populist choice isn't it it's the populist hard oh, man's choice oh, look, <coughs> look how thick and fucking wet it is my <laughs> I have to light it five times yeah my Whereas lungs look, will barely I'm, survive I'm not one of these metropolitan elites smoking his old Holborn <laughs> these metropolitan elite with their old Holborn and their caps and full strength and their drum yellow <laughs> yeah oh. They probably do think You'll be that, thankful of that drum yellow when the winter comes. Let me tell you. <laughs> they'll probably they probably do think that drum is like the liberal tobacco. I bet you there's there like that people on the right have some some like definite opinions on the political allegiances of different tobaccos. Like I don't think that Gold of Virginia is smoked by fascists, I think it's smoked by children and idiots. Um <laughs> who don't know better. It's also not cheap. No, it, it's not the cheapest. No, no, it's not. I mean, God knows I haven't bought tobacco for oh, God, no, no, like three or four no, years. Ambalicious was cheapest, didn't it? Yeah, and it was available everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but anyway, but we're anyway. getting into exactly yeah. the thing we want to discuss. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, they, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tommy Robinson, I, I'm not sure about his his designs, like why he wants to join. Has he? Have you seen anything where he's kind of said I should be allowed to join UKIP because I yeah, feel he like he definitely wants to join he UKIP, to join UKIP. Because he, I think he was probably I think he wanted to join UKIP when Anne-Marie Waters was in UKIP yeah and then when Anne-Marie Waters went off and started her own party and that isn't doing very well I think he was I think that's what's made him want to go to UKIP because he was like I'll join Anne-Marie Waters party because that's better and I can say what I want oh well okay I'll join UKIP with the rest of them 
It it just strikes Plus, me. I think you kids where where there's going to be some money coming in. I bet you they're going to start getting. If it becomes a thing, which it is more likely to become, oh, I could with see. I could see like a face. I, yeah, I could Tommy see like. At the, head the thing it. is, I could see, I could see some American right wingers and some British right wingers throwing some money at you, more money at UKIP with with some of the people that are credited as kind of getting kids into fascism. Yeah, and it's like as much as kids are into fascism in America. I don't know. It the whole thing strikes me as like it would be a risk to Stephen Yaxley Lennon. There's an interview with him a few years ago where he, um, in his own words, like drops the character of Tommy Robinson, and he is just talking to the interviewer as Stephen Yaxley Lennon. Yeah. And he does the whole thing of, oh, I never, you know, my daughters don't know what I do for a living, and um, what a horrible, well, <laughs> a horrible landlord, and have a yeah. bunch of tanning beds and don't pay your taxes. Yeah. Basically. I can see why you would tell your daughter's that. And it, it strikes me that he has, despite the home run that I'm sure a lot of kind of like the Bannons of this world mm. wanting to form their pan-European right-wing movement, yeah. think it would be a huge win. That like, I feel like that poses quite a risk because he's always been able to kind of have Tommy Robinson as his persona. And he's, despite how, whenever he does his pivot, again, like the alt-right lads... Um, between hardcore football hooligan, you know, when he's got the heavies with him mm. and everything from his days in the EDL, yeah. um, to joining Quilliam and pretending he's like an academic yeah, and pretending he's like a, a, a speaker. Yeah. Or when he did that figure, he did, um, the, did debate at the Oxford Union. <laughs> <through> Union. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so great, that. It's so great. It's def- I haven't seen it. Oh, it's, I've, I've watched as like a solid two minutes. Um, <laughs> But it's just it says every it it reinforces every opinion I ever had about liberals at Oxford. <laughs> the fact that you know he's sitting there and he's talking and some of them clap and no one breaks his hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing for us, such a paragon of free speech. He has almost nothing to say, yeah. and that's been true forever. Yeah, he's always kind of he's relied much more on like. A present, like a, a he presents himself in a certain way to produce certain feelings. Mm. Like for so long, Tommy Robinson has been the normal man who just could, who wanted to just live his life, mm. but couldn't because of Muslims and the police. Because of Muslims ruining Luton. Yeah, like that's the way. Oh, I just he just wants to get on with his life. He just wants to, you know, be a good father. But I can't because of all these Muslims getting yeah. up in my beds. So yeah, like UKIP's in this, in the de- definitely in a down cycle. Like you'll notice that I have not heard a single thing from Gerard Batten. Not that I follow him that closely, but no. he's made no headlines about actual Brexit. No, no, no. Considering no. that that's like they're vir- like UKIP at one point were virtually a single issue party on the oh, referendum, yeah. and Gerard Batten just goes around making anti-Islam, yeah, anti-Islam speeches. Yeah, it's it is impressive how like. Like, for ages, like, we're not a racist party, we're just about independence from Europe. And there's like, okay, we've got independence from Europe, okay, let's talk about the next problem. (laughs) They've always been, I mean, they have always had kind of competing streams and different tendencies. Like, Mm. do you remember remember when Robert Kilroy Silk joined UKIP for nine months and then got pissed off? Oh, then he went off and started Veritas. He became an MEP, he joined UKIP, became an MEP was going to be subject to their disciplinary procedures and spun it off and formed Veritas, yeah. which, as far as I can work out, was exactly the same party 
made up of just Robert Kilroy Silk. Yeah, I remember he didn't he give a speech at like the college, the Cold Exchange in Rochester. I think he did. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. weren't they putting up a candidate for one of the by elections? I think. I think they were. Mm. So like, it's always been a kind of jazzy, <laughs> jazzy. It's always been a repository for kind of fringe entertainment as much as it has yeah. had a solid kind of political basis. It's like a, a rest home for the right, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and there's always been kind of two tendencies at work within UKIP as, as far as I can see. Like there's the Godfrey Bloom wing, mm-hmm. which is they're old, they're eccentric, you know, they're climate change skeptics, they're... Um, is like violent Islamophobes. They're the ones who blame storms and floods for gay marriage. They're the um, the really ardent. I quite like that the idea of blaming storms and floods for gay marriage. Yeah. Rather than the other. Oh yeah, no, yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean. It's like it's too windy. It's making all these gays. Yeah, carry on. It blows them in. Swift nor'easter. <laughs> it blows all the gay gay people in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like the people like the anti-abortion and compulsory abortion people which for some yeah. reason go hand in hand in UKIP there was a guy I was reading there was a guy in a, a Kent councillor and uh, a council candidate in 2012 who um, uh, was suspended from the party after calling for an NHS review to look into whether fetuses with Down syndrome and spina bifida should be compulsorily aborted and considering you think about it like probably the most anti-abortion activists you would you would take a guess that most of them would be in UKIP yeah <laughs> and yet, yeah. those people are no, in you UKIP could also, as well. Yeah, you'd also see eugenicists being in UKIP. They'd yeah. have a nice, happy home there. Yeah. Um, the second stream is obviously the more the, the, the slightly more effective ones, the ones who can cloak all their insanity. I mean, the Farages, basically, mm. like Pujardist, petty bourgeoisie, like small businessmen yeah. who have a kind of small-stay, Eurosceptic stance, probably have too much baggage yeah. to get into the conservatives or or were just unlucky. Yeah. Um you know like retired retired further education teachers, you know, yeah. mid-level ex-stock brokers, yeah. uh fathers rights guys, I would probably they probably cross the line into crankdom. Yeah, but, I don't know where they, where those kind of guys end up. Uh but crucially they're, you know, they're that kind of white male aged 18 to 54 that for some reason have that magic where people take them seriously. Yeah. You know? Whereas the Godfrey Blooms just don't. Yeah. They never have. And the interesting thing about kind of bringing Tommy Robinson is, is that while UKIP has always had the most, like a fascistic element to it, Mm. it's always been a parliamentary, like, formation. It's always been, we're going to get into parliament and we're going to shift politics to the right. We're not going to, you know, take down the state. No. It's never been like that. Um and the weird thing is now, having achieved their aim, they're kind of left with the same choice that a lot of fringe parties have. That's that's true of both like left and right, that they have to actually make a choice as to whether with, to withdraw. I don't think they'll ever stop putting up MPs, hmm. but whether to withdraw further and do more kind of extra political stuff. Yeah. And kind of link up in a Steve Bannon-esque way with hmm. other like far-right parties. Yeah. Or whether they will keep, uh, like try and get a new... Farage and keep going for seats which seems like a busted flush because politics is polarised and it seems to if all the polls are to be believed they've polarised away from UKIP well I think there isn't a wholesale desire for that far right no Um, and to the point of UKIP are losing members like 
yeah. loads, loads and loads of going back to the Tory party because they're saying that UKIP is too fascist. Because they because they joined it because they were Eurosceptic, because that's an actual issue. Yeah, they joined it because they were afraid of the shapes of their bananas rather than yeah. afraid of Muslims. Yeah. Because, yeah. It's like... Aside from anything, a lot of those people as well, you know, you characterise them as kind of... Uh, like racist and and they are but they're polite racists the one thing that they don't want is a Tommy Robinson coming along and causing like even if it was a street battle in favour of something they wanted Mm. they would want to be as far away from that kind of thing as possible they would see it as disorder yeah it's an embarrassment you know they're authoritarians yeah definitely they're not um, yeah they're not they're not they're like the police more than the football lads oh absolutely yeah and while Farage was in charge, hey, um, he managed to keep them kind of facing in that direction. Mm. He managed to keep them just respectable enough that they would get invited onto every single media programme. Yeah. And there was an element of like, by now, I think if they had a comeback, the media would still invite them on, even if they didn't have Farage, because there's a kind of like... I would argue there's probably a sentimentality for the years 2010, yeah. like I say 2009, to 2016, mm. when Farage was at the height of his powers. Yeah. And there is a sentimentality that means that UKIP is seen as an unavoidable part of the media landscape, and if of the political mm. landscape. And if the kind of boneheadedness and, like, complete immovability of centrist discourse is anything to go by then I absolutely think that they would prefer a a landscape of a centre-right Labour Party a right-wing Tory party and the fringe the alternative the voice of the street a man on the street they would prefer to be UKIP rather than any other thing I think they're still embedded in that they would like to go back to that so like if Tommy Robinson like if if he were to join UKIP and presumably get a high up position or yeah. become the leader. Yeah. Oh. I don't see him. He's never been a. He's ne- he's never. He's never been just a. He's always been a media personality. Yeah. Like, what did he do after he, uh, the EDL failed and Pegida failed yeah. and he uh, didn't like really get on with the football lads? Yeah. He fucking went to Rebel Media. Yeah. He's like a media personality. He's a broadcaster. He can't yeah. ever stop now. Yeah. That's who he is. That's the kind of fakeness behind the Stephen Yaxley Lennon thing mm. is that he's not just a normal man who wishes he could just lead a normal life. No. He's absolutely an egocentric, like, attention seeker. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he would definitely go for the leadership if he was a member. He 100% would. And every media organisation would invite him on. And I think not because he's Tommy Robinson, but because I think the way that like the media is still constructed and the kind of uh, nostalgic longing for a period that has only just ended yeah. means that they would prefer that because that's a media landscape that they grew up in and recognise and could control or feel they can control. Do you know what would have? It's depressing. It's fucking horrible. You know, those, like, um, you know the people who say like, oh, you've got to be nice to the president because you've got to respect the, mm-hmm. the position rather than the man. Yeah. They'll say that about the position of leader of UK. <laughs> We've got to have the leader of UKIP on question time. Yeah, it's uh, look. I know it's Tommy Robinson, and we don't want to complete. We don't want to talk to him, but he 
You've got to respect the ma- you've got to respect the position he's in. You've got to respect that there's a lot of people who support him, and that's why he's going to be on Question Time and Sunday Brunch. <laughs> oh, good old UKIP. Isn't it just so quintessentially British? Those words will be spoken of t- a Tommy Robinson leading UKIP. Quintessentially British. We just we just invite even people who we don't like on, and slowly he gets rehabilitated as. Oh, and every every late night talk show, every stand up comedian will all have the same jokes that they had for Farage, as they had for they will have the same jokes for Tommy Robinson as they have for Farage. No, no, they'll just re, no, they um, they'll go back into their um into their old joke books and bring out all the old ones for Nick Griffin because Nigel Farage is too posh. Oh, yeah, good one. Yeah, so they, actually, no, they, you're right. Even though Nick Griffin was actually quite posh. Well, um, also, but, Nigel Farage had um, character traits that oh. you could attach things to, so boozing, smoking, yeah. stockbroker, just, a kind of fusty, musty smell around him. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Yaxley-Lennon, I reckon, maybe not Lynx Africa. Um, it won't be Africa. Lynx <laughs> <laughs> <Links> Teutonic. <laughs> Mmm, Teutonic. Links Charles Martel. <laughs> but he has, he um, he doesn't have as like I don't know. I guess it would just be your standard like um, poor baiting. It'd be yeah, like cha- chav. Yeah. Chav baiting stuff. They will, they will, they will. It'll be like, here comes Tommy Robinson in his tracksuit. Yeah, they'll do an impression of him in a shell suit. Fuck. It'll be something like that. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, they will get the, you know, the three Scousers thing that Harry yeah. Linfield did. They'll get that out of retirement where if he makes a speech in Liverpool. Yeah. And they'll do that of the three Scousers meeting Tommy Robinson in his shell suit. Yeah, it'll be something like that. That oh, will be a thing. That's fucking impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking horrible. It yeah. is. Um, yeah, I mean, they've lost, like, the far right have kind of not got any any street presence. I mean, I know they've been kind of cohering recently, but what they don't, like, the thing they were cohering around was Tommy Robinson. Yeah. But even then, they don't even have that many numbers. Like, there was, like when we went on mm. that march, we went on that march specifically because of the numbers that had been at the previous one. Mm. But the numbers aren't, aren't doing that well. It's almost like they're going... They're going underground again, like national action and all that kind of shit. Yeah. They're doing more of the secretive things and I think rather there's, than there's... the mass street action because the mass marches, like the EDL, we had years and years of it and it achieved nothing. Yeah, and they know they've, they've... they achieved the absolute opposite because people were forced to engage with Muslims in the UK as um, on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Because if you create the like the opposition to um, like Islam, like Islamophobia and the opposition to like, Muslims as a part of a multicultural Britain. If you constantly draw attention to that, you're cu- they're kind of trying to funnel you down one of two avenues of e- either being totally okay with Muslims, in which case you've got to engage with them as people yeah. and as a community, or you join the EDL. And as I said before, the vast majority of people of any political persuasion, doesn't matter how strongly they feel, will not take to the streets and take part in the kind of stuff that the EDL were pushing. Yeah. They would not take part in those street actions. Mm. So you kind of had a way of like, I know you still have like right-wing commentators like Douglas Murray talking about like the demographic time bomb. Yeah. And him being approvingly retweeted and invited to conferences and all that. But to a certain extent, for a little while there, the EDL 
being there kind of polarised the issue and most people ended up having to engage with with Muslims as a community and, and yeah. as people, you know. Hmm. Um, there will always be a few of them, like the far right, like National Action and that, going underground. I think like the real danger here is with a kind of atrophied Labour Party, because it's like, I don't think it's atrophying, but it's taken a lot of... It's taken a lot out of people the last few months. Mem- in, I think I think people are tired, but no, they're not even close to actually. They, the, the membership is still going up. Yeah, sure. Um, that's the membership still going up. I think people are getting tired of Sabazda, so a lot of the. But I mean, if you're if you're considering that in a if there were a, a, a resurgent kind of UKIP that yeah. were much more socially conservative, much more far right than they were. Mm. Um, putting that up and then putting that up against the media that has been entirely hostile to left-wing thought, mm. you're kind of doing what I mentioned with the EDL in reverse. Mm. You're making Labour out to be so toxic and so dangerous because that's what you do to left-wing mm. alternatives. But at the same time, resurgent UKIP, not maybe not take the place of the Conservatives, but the Conservatives always define themselves by how they uh, police their own borders. Yeah. So... They claim Enoch Powell as one of their own when they need that like hard right racism yeah. to, to drive their agenda forward. But at the same time, they retreat it and kick Enoch Powell out of the party, out of the kind of history of the yeah. Conservative Party when they're trying to present a more liberal face. Yeah. And I could see that if, as is happening now, the centre-right and the, the like uh, left wing of the Conservative Party is in quite a lot of trouble. Mm. as represented by Philip Hammond mm. <laughs> um, is in quite a lot he's in quite a lot of quite a lot of trouble yeah. then you could see them maybe doing the whole thing of moving right again yeah um, uh, more prominent UKIP just allows them to do that it allows them to do that and they can kind of glom on and the whole kind of cycle repeats itself again yeah you know but I think like as far as from UKIP's perspective goes like I don't quite know what they're protecting by not letting Tommy Robinson in. I don't want him in. It's just, but it's also well, it's just the old rules. Of um, you're not allowed to be a member of you. No, I mean, but that's always if 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 there were enough people in there who wanted him in, he would be in. It didn't. It wouldn't matter whether he was a member of a far right party. Yeah, there's still the fact that if there's that the fact that they have made up this kind of procedural rule to keep him out means there is some desire, at least among some of the top brass, yeah, there are, to uh, not have him in because he's not what they want. Yeah. Well, and um, considering Gerard, but what Gerard Batten's doing now, yeah. I mean, maybe he fears the competition or something. Well, no, it could be uh, as simple as that. Um, I know Nigel Farage hates him, Tom Robinson. Uh, he hates Gerard Batten as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fucking, uh, because it's Gerard Batten that wants Tom Robinson in. It's, the only, it's their NEC that doesn't want him in. But I mean, presumably, like that—that's what I mean. Like, there's there's enough people at the top of UKIP that don't want him in, and there has to be a reason for that. Like, they think that he will. I think they. I think he they will think, harm their electoral yeah, chances. I think they think that Tommy Robinson will harm their brand, their brand of friendly fascists rather than fascists with blood on their knuckles. I think that's literally it. I suppose they haven't really got round to the kind of Bannon way of thinking of no. we could be the local franchise of a larger movement that yeah. like that is made they, up they of like they, they alternative for Deutschland and the Sweden yeah. Democrats no, and people like that. No, they don't want that. Are they that Eurosceptic? I suppose they're not yeah, they're not really ironically 
the far right kind of encompasses both national sovereignty movements and kind of xenophobia yeah. and pan-Europeanism yeah. at the same time. So, of course, yeah, those, those things would probably come into conflict, wouldn't they? <laughs> so UKIP aren't the only one who've been kind of delving into the depths of the far right this mm. week. Um, we've had a vote in the EU Parliament uh, as about whether to censure the... No, Hungary- no, 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 no. Yeah? Um, okay. I don't think you understand. We voted to leave the EU. So I don't need to listen to any of your EU oh, marks. Oh, that's it. Cool. Bye, folks. Because <laughs> now, now it's like with a child who covers their eyes. It no longer exists. <laughs> Europe is gone. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, okay. What's, yeah. Ha- what's happened in the EU SSR? So. <laughs> what? You're going to feel so bad when I explain this to you. <laughs> uh, MEV, MEPs voted to trigger a... Excuse me. I hear that they don't vote on anything. <laughs> going to stop. <laughs> I can't. Okay, go on. Members of the European Parliament. Yeah. Trash! <laughs> <laughs> MEPs voted to trigger a rule of law procedure against the Hungarian government under Article 7 of the Lisbon Treaty. Okay. Uh, this is a decision that... What does Article um, 7 mean? Article 7 is whereby uh, member governments are not living up to... Democratic principles, rule of law, human rights, um, legal provisions set in place by the Lisbon Treaty. That also, like Victoria Banks compiling a list of product juice. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, these things led generally lead to sanctions and may even lead to uh, Hungary's voting rights being removed from it so they wouldn't be able to vote on any legislation but would still be subject to it. That's really fucked up. Um, like, no, it's like Hungary, like the Hungarian government, it's real fucking horrible at the moment. Yeah. But it's the idea, it's like, Oh, no, we won't kick you out because we still kind of need you. But you will no longer be allowed to vote. <laughs> um, it was in response to um, a number of different things that have been going on in, in Hungary, um, mm. including the corruption misuse of EU funds, whereby Orban has been funneling um, uh, like EU regeneration funds to yeah. close friends and family. Um, Orban has earmarked more than uh, 1.4 billion for the Lake Balaton region to improve tourism. Mm. About 40% of it is going to be coming from the EU. And in the local town, like that's going to be the heart of where most of these funds are being spent, all the waterfront property is being built, like um, bought up by his childhood friend and his son-in-law. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Obviously, the most the most kind of famous thing that he's been doing recently is like his anti-immigration rhetoric. Mm-hmm. He's referred to Muslims as invaders, even though there are five thousand Muslims in Hungary, yeah, uh, in a country of ten million, about zero point zero 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 five percent of the population is Muslim. Um, there's also been a kind of repression of civil society, so. Um, He's been bringing in uh, NGO anti NGO laws, so yeah. NGO groups that. Uh, oh, see. Isn't that because they're tied with Soros? Um, that's the kind of idea that he's using. I mean, Russia had passed something similar, yeah. um, like outright banning foreign, like what they called foreign-owned NGOs. Yeah. Um, but NGOs in Hungary receiving more than twenty-four thousand pounds a year in donations have to register as a foreign-supported organisation, and they risk fines or closure for non-compliance. Um, laws have also been touted authorising police raids on any organisations or activists deemed a threat by the Ministry of Internal Affairs Mm. Um, and there's also been a load of laws bundled in this that will criminalise any individual or group that offers to help an illegal immigrant claim asylum Mm. in Hungary I did see the thing about um, yeah that 
um, lawyers that work with um, asylum seekers and immigrants. Yeah. Getting arrested. Getting arrested. You can face up to a year in prison. Lovely. For um, helping uh, immigrants claim asylum, which still exists. It's still a yeah. legal right to do it. Yeah. Because they have to do it because they're signed up to a load of international treaties. And yeah. part of being part of the EU, it means you have to accept the the Convention on Refugees. Yeah. Um, and this is their way of circumnavigating it. Yeah. Uh, they've also been attacking universities. Um, the Hungarian Academy of Sciences, um, the government has started to take control of its funding and started discussions on closing down research institutions and a number of academics have ended up on lists drawn up by pro-government media outlets for allegedly not producing enough research or failing to work on topics deemed worthy of the public interest. Uh, Gender studies... um, is a discipline that has been particularly targeted by this and is set to be banned next year because it's been removed from all the accredited programmes. So, you know. Yeah. Um, so so this, uh, this Article 7 um, thing, hmm. well, the, uh, by the way, uh, Fidesz, the main Hungarian party, hmm. um, Orbán's party, is a member of the uh, European People's Party, which is like the centre-right conservative bloc. Yeah, yeah. Um, generally Eurosceptic, but still kind of wants to be in the EU. Yeah. Um, this resolution for the for them being censured by the EU was passed uh, overwhelmingly, 448 votes to 197. Um, but it split the kind of this block that they mm. were a member of because the Conservatives may have uh, are coming under increasing pressure to actually like chuck Fidesz out, chuck yeah. the Hungarian MEPs and members out. Um, a lot of kind of Germans and Dutch conservatives getting very angry about it, going back and forth on whether they would support Hungary. Mm. Uh, in their view, it would be a kind of they're being attacked for the wrong thing. They're being attacked for their domestic political agenda as opposed mm. to any actual rules they've broken. Yeah. Um, but they still voted to censure them because clearly, what's happening in Hungary is a consolidation of power under very authoritarian and yeah. proto-fascist uh, regime. Mm. Um, UK MEP supported him. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, um, I could see why Michael Gove would love all of his stuff. They chose to uh, back Smart, Orban. Uh, Michael Gove. Yep. Michael Gove was on uh, Andrew Marr at the weekend saying the UK must have a generosity of spirit towards mm. Victor Orban. He told uh, Andrew Marr that he did not believe that individual criticisms of the kind you are understandably tempting me to make necessarily help us in ensuring we get both solidarity on the issues that count and the best deal for Britain as we leave the EU. To be fair, after we leave the EU, we're going to need to find a really good place to source all that Nazi memorabilia. And so, you know... A Such nice a demand. Trip. Yeah, a nice deal with Hungary would be really useful. It's... <laughs> oh, God. Dan Hannan tried to cover it by saying... Uh... We... <laughs> Dan Hannan. We consistently opposed every motion condemning a ma- uh, member state's domestic affairs, whether the government is left or right. We're just opposing the growth of EU power which uh, was later revealed to be false because yeah. Malta have also come under the same censure mm-hmm. and he voted to uh, censure them. But yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it, yeah. Because Dan Hannon's a liar. <laughs> um, I want to talk a bit about like the Hungarian political like situation hmm. and just like who they are and, and hmm. how they came to be. Yeah. All I know um, about Hungary. I watched that documentary about Jobbik. Oh yeah, the uh, member who found out he was Jewish. Yeah, that everyone hated him. Yeah, and then he became like super, super Jewish. He became super gave, orthodox. Yeah, gave like gave that speech that it had all the cadence of a far right anti-Semitic speech, but it was like 
Jews are great. It's he like, basically used all of the analogies he would have yeah. used in a like maybe a secret meeting among Jobbik, who are yeah. like the neo-Nazi party in uh, Hungary. Oh, very much. Um, he used all the kind of metaphors like I view Judaism as a beautiful rose, but under the rose there are thorns. <laughs> yeah. And it's like then he added a bit onto it yeah. by saying, "But, but I like thorns." <laughs> They're needed because we are Jews. <laughs> yeah. That's a very, very odd thing. Yeah, well, you know, he's he's an odd guy. He's had a very confusing number Couple of, of years. years. Yeah. yeah. Um so Fidesz are the main power and party in Hungary. Mm. Um pow- Fidesz are the main party in power in yeah. Hungary. They are Orban's party. They were originally founded as a classical liberal party by students and anti-communist uh, democracy activists uh, in 1988. But after a poor showing um, in 1994, in the 1994 elections, they kind of started a rightward turn mm-hmm. that turned them into kind of nationalist, conservative, uh, like, kind of blood and soil people. Yeah. Um, they're formally in coalition with a third party, which is the Christian Democratic People's Party, which was um, uh, kind of the traditional conservative party of okay. Hungary, like the pre-war um, Catholic conservative party. Um, they're little more than a like a, an adjunct to Fidesz at this point. Right. Um, the second and main opposition, so that's the coalition who are in charge. Yeah. The main opposition party is Jobbik. Mm-hmm. So... That's it. That's Hungarian politics. You have <laughs> you have Orban's Orban's Orban populist authoritarian like compiling lists of Jews and compiling like, having of all Jews. the stuff about Soros. And um, then on the other hand, you have ones denying the Holocaust. Yep, that's it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, it, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Basically, the reason why one of the reasons why Hungarian politics has taken such a rightward turn is because the kind of social democrats after the fall of communism, um, applied a very neoliberal kind of Blairite um, attitude. There was actually the... Uh, like in Poland? Um, very similar, yeah. They were kind of... They were made up of rebranded ex-Soviet elites mm. and kind of democracy activists and mm. the students, the same kind of students who founded Fidesz in the mm. first place. Um, they kind of took over the project of... Um, like the like reforming the ex-communist state hmm. as they did in Russia as they did in Poland as they did in you know most of the hmm. like ex-soviet bloc states um they concentrated on capitalist reform and bringing their countries closer to the uh, EU and NATO um they did it in an incredibly corrupt way forming a a neoliberal elite at the t- hmm. like a kind of a, basically with no kind of judgment on that a cosmopolitan elite hmm. um that was inter- that the kind of pursued structural reform within their economy that caused kind of a lot of immiseration sent growth rates up hmm. the interesting thing about like a lot of those eastern european countries is that most of them are richer than they've ever been yeah but the spoils of those uh that wealth that gdp growth hasn't been hasn't been shared yeah um in fact uh one of the reasons why Orbán's uh, come to power so dramatically is that the uh, Social Democrat uh, Prime Minister from before he was elected, uh, what's his name, Ferenc Gyuksani, um was one of uh, Hungary's top hundred richest men. You know, it's rich socialist is fine, it's absolutely fine. There's also I haven't got the text of it here. He made something called I think it's the Odosh speech. Hmm. Um, a secret speech he made to the party members where he goes on for about half an hour going, 
Jesus, we fucked it. Oh my God, it's so fucking bad. You have no idea how much we lied. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll see if I can dig it out at some point because it's fucking amazing. Um, so yeah, the cost of rap- rapidly kind of uh, liberalising their economy um, yeah. caused mass unemployment. A lot of emigration as well, obviously, yeah. because they've, they've joined the EU. So yeah. you're looking people... If they can't make money in their own countries, we'll look to emigrate. Yeah. Um, and while all of this kind of basically liberal cheerleaded um, modernization mm. of their countries was going on, they allowed the far right and the nationalist right in those countries to kind of decide how history would be written. Mm. So there's a lot of um, revisionism around reconstitute they were they weren't bothered because as far as they were concerned they were anti-communist mm. they were rewriting the history that the communists had kind of overwritten and mm. they were right rewriting their bourgeois kind of national history yeah. the history of their middle classes yeah. the history of their middle class heroes um then once obviously the uh the economic crisis hit you have a right wing that has an axe to grind about the economy mm. it has an axe to grind about uh poverty has an axe to grind about kind of elites, mm. unaccountable elites, corrupt mm. elites, hoarding all the wealth and taking it overseas, transnational elites. Mm. And they're backed up by a conception of the nation and a conception of the national community that has they've been allowed to write. Mm. Sometimes on, on, on racial standards, sometimes kind of uh, conspiratorially, so painting Hungary, Hungary and Poland especially, as the victim of yeah. international agreements. Yeah. Hungary, there's a particular um, uh, like sense of victimhood over the treaties at the end of the First World War because they used to be the Kingdom of Hungary as part of Austro-Hungary, this gigantic kingdom that stretched over a lot of Czechoslovakia, mm. into Romania, into Croatia. Um, and they were reduced to kind of, I think they were like a, like basically... Uh, decreased in half by size like the country and population and they were left with significant kind of Hungarian speaking minorities in other countries because they had more Poles or Mm. more Croatian speakers Mm. so they became part of Croatia and and part of Poland Um, and so they've got this like the the far right in those countries has like this ready made um, narrative of well, the old communists are still in control, yeah. i.e. meaning the liberal social mm. democrats, the neoliberal social democrats. And they've got a grievance with kind of the uh, refugee crisis by combining it with multiculturalism and saying, well, the communists repressed our nationhood for so long. Yeah. They repressed because they were afraid of how like strong we were. Mm. We were the victim of like a, a multinational conspiracy against our nationhood. And now you're asking us to let immigrants in. Yeah, it's the latest stage where by Hungary is like repressed mm. and and forced to 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 dilute itself. These are all like fairly well worn far right tropes. Yeah, um, there was a fucking ridiculous um, article a few months ago by someone called Cas Mud, Cas Mud, um, to save Hungary's liberal democracy, centrists must work with the right. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember, I remember I sent you that. that yeah. yeah. Whereby the only way to break Orban's stranglehold on Hungary's dying liberal democracy is a tactical alliance between liberals and Jobbik. Hmm. Well, let's beat him to it and kill all the Jews first. It, yeah, it, well, yeah, you know, liberals love that shit. You saw that fucking. Um, it's like um, Gina Miller was doing it today or yesterday. It was yesterday, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, her, fascists um, of the right and fascists of the left. Yeah, they're, they're all the same, really. 
Here I am, stuck in the centre with you. Ugh. Um, Ugh. So, like, the Tories Ugh. supporting... I've... Sorry. Sorry, just, just yucking it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we haven't talked about the Lib Dem conference, because we won't. Because there's nothing there apart from a bunch of fucking idiots. I like I had a serious thing about like I saw their merch stand again and I was like oh my god look at that merch stuff we can get a good bit about laughing about their stupid merch I realised we did that last year yeah and the merch looks worse now it looks like it's just aged a year looks they just put out the same stuff nothing yeah, changed just sun bleached mugs of Vince Cable oh fucking <laughs> horrible okay Carol yeah sorry um so like the real question is what are the Tories getting out of doing this for Hungary <laughs> yeah um Hungary has. Hungarian government has uh, supported the idea that Britain should be treated as a special case mm. um, after Brexit, that if it doesn't want to be part of it, then it doesn't have to, but it can never be fully out. Mm. It should have certain benefits. This is exactly what the Tories would like to hear, mm-hmm. even if um, because if they can make it seem like it's a full Brexit and still retain it, yeah. it kind of squares their circle. Yeah. Um, an unnamed Tory politician told The Independent just after the vote that um, it's clear we are going to gain brownie points with people who could help us in Brexit negotiations. Hmm, hmm interesting. Um, uh, are they really... like? They can cause enough problems. Yeah. They 100% can because they can be the ones who, on their own, to offer them a... Uh, to pressure for a free trade deal. Yeah. In return for concessions. But just like... Which of the rest of the people in like the room negotiate all this stuff? And like the Hungarian guy turns up, but he's like singing the horse vessel, and he's like, <laughs> "Actually, I think we should be nice to Britain." And it's like, "I feel no, like not they, now." <laughs> I feel like they wouldn't be singing the horse vessel. That's a good point. They're singing some Magyar anthem. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, yeah, I saw um, Jobbik's weird militant uniform that looked like all based yeah. on traditional peasant garb. It looks ludicrous. Awful lot of black leather. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and shorts. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of um, liberal like uh, hand wringing about this, about how this is a stain on Britain's character. Really? This is such a uh, <laughs> this is such an unbelievable thing mm. that they I cannot believe Britain has supported an autocratic regime <laughs> for no benefit other than its own avarice. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Um, yeah, Steve Allen in The Guardian said, at a time when the rule of law and human rights are being rapidly eroded and with Orban leading the charge against minority, it proved yet again how low the British Conservative Party will go in pursuing its ideological antipathy towards anything European. In doing so, the Tories have saddled up with a proto-fascist political party which is every bit as threatening to British interests as it is to the wider European Union. I think you only believe that if you don't think that there's more than an inkling of a tendency within the Conservative Party to think that what Orban's doing is actually kind of good. Um, Michael Gove agrees with 100% of, of Orban. I think, so, the, I, think the like only, 100%. I think the only difference in that is context. I think, if anything, British political elites tend to think of Eastern Europe mm. as a kind of lesser... Like mm. a kind of lesser culture, mm. in a way, like their own special kind of racism. Yeah. So it's like, well, of course, we wouldn't do that here. Mm. We wouldn't undermine the independence of the judges. Mm. We'd just choose a judge for the bloody Sunday <laughs> inquiry who's likely to bring about a verdict that we like. Do you know what I mean? How dare you? I'm imply. not out of line thinking that, am I? And like, I realised when I was reading out that, like, um, the Hungarian universities uh, stuff, mm. um, like, 
attacking gender studies and yeah, wanting yeah, to take like, it off the Michael curriculum. For shit. Um, making lists of prominent academics and attacking yeah. them in public. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Uh, complaining that they don't do enough relevant work yeah. and that their theories are shit. That's, that's literally what that is. Yeah. If it's, it's, what, it's, a, it's what happens if you translate Tory rhetoric into a, reality. I hadn't read that, um, the, what's it, the side of RC um side of you think about um the Islamophobia in yes, yeah, yeah. and the stuff about Michael Gove specifically. Yeah. Um but yeah, I one hundred percent he one hundred percent agrees with everything. Didn't he that write stuff. he wrote that book? Um I think it might be called Fahrenheit Fahrenheit nine eleven or something so, like that. Yeah, um where he talks about like the group think of Muslims. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about well when you have Muslims all together in a room, they kind of go silent and that's because they communicate with the hive mind. Yeah, like the um like the, the I can't remember the the, the cranium rats. In yeah. Planescape Torment, yeah. yeah. When there's two of them, they're like they're a bit smarter than normal rats. And when there's like five, they can do magic. Yeah. Um, yeah, Michael goes a piece of shit, and it's not at all surprising. <laughs> um, yeah, the, it's like, the Tories are like that. Yeah. <laughs> and even like the ones that aren't like that, like I, you know, give her a like. I'd say that Anna Subri probably isn't as big a fan of Orban as some of the rest of the Tories, but she would vote in line with them. Yeah. Because it's- you know. Like, you think of... I think people get confused because they look at Hungarian nationalism and, from a certain extent, you have a kind of, like, very... What's the word? A me- Like, they get this kind of metropolitan sniffiness. It's like, mm. Hungarian nationalism, what do they believe? That they were, you know, sired by a god who rode in on a horse and the horse died and formed the land of Hungary. Yeah. They look at it in those kind of, like, terms yeah. when... They don't examine their own nationalism in any oh, God, anywhere no. near the same detail. Never. So they think that their history is like, oh, it's it's quaint. Hmm. It's nice. It's to be condemned when it affects people, but yeah. it's quaint. And it's like, you could examine British history in exactly the same way. Yeah. British nationalism in exactly the same way. You know, like draping yourself in the flag. And it's it maybe more kind of consumer-oriented. It's oriented around the things you consume. Hmm. You know, you buy like pork pies and and gin and and things like that, mm. which reflects kind of Britain as a more advanced like consumer society. Yeah, but ultimately, it's a it's a very similar pattern. Oh, it's the same. You know, and like, how many times have they talked? Have they talked gushingly about like putting troops in schools, mm. encouraging troops to become MPs because yeah. the national martial spirit distilled in their bones somehow is an asset to a democratic political process in yeah. ways that are never quite explained other than it makes them more British. Yeah. And that can only be a good thing. Yeah. It's like... I, I mean, even now, like, Orban again has that... Like, I think Poland and... Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the Prime Minister of Poland has a lot more of a emphasis on like the continuation of an ex-communist elite, like mm. an old elite, yeah. still in charge of everything. And like that's that's like complaining about Marxist professors. Yeah, yeah. That's complaining about Jeremy Corbyn, the old lefty, being a Czech spy. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like saying Michael Foote is a Soviet, uh, a paid KGB agent. Again. Again, <laughs> again. You know, that's the kind yeah. of thing that like, those are the kind of smears that work. And like, yeah... They don't do anything about them. Mm. They are pure smears. They are just designed as character assassination. Mm. But if the whole Joe Cox thing and the guy who was arrested before he could attack and assassinate Jeremy Corbyn Mm. is anything to go by, 
Like, he wasn't arrested before he could. Um, he was. He didn't. The one he, he didn't do it, did he? He, what, he went, went for someone else and got and uh, ploughed into the uh, yeah. mosque, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. When he couldn't find when he couldn't find the requisite politician, he just drove at Muslims. Yeah. And that's what it leads to. And it's like that's not too far away from identifying your your enemies in public, hmm. painting them in a conspiratorial light. Hmm. And, and saying that if they and get charged, that, that the country's going to be ruined, and a good, a true patriot would remove them. Yeah, hmm. like I don't see. The more I looked into kind of the things that Orban has been doing, and it's like that seems fairly even down to the like banning NGOs and like hmm. the UK have like banned Russia today. Hmm. I mean, it's a foreign-funded NGO with an obvious, a really obvious like um, remit, like. You can see what Russia Today are trying to do. Mm. You know, it's very obvious. They're not pretending to be anything other than they are. Mm. They amplify progressive and left-wing tendencies because it pisses off the state. Yeah, That's literally it. Mm. That's the only reason you know you get George Galloway on there. It's the only reason Jeremy Corbyn went on there because they, want to amp- they wanted to amplify something, probably geopolitically in the larger sense, to just piss the British state off Definitely. and harry them. I don't think it was that conspiratorial. I don't oh, no. think it was that like hidden but banning them because they're a foreign funded NGO operating in your country is kind of the same thing mm. obviously Orban's taken it a lot further mm-hmm. um, he has a populist basis that he is really exploiting to the max and kind of really trying to keep himself in, in power for a long time and it's super worrying, and I don't blame the EU for at all for like pursuing that vote mm. as hard as they can. But there are fucking reasons why Orban is there. Mm. I think conservatives probably get more of a kick out of his policies than they would like to think they do. And as an aside, liberal centrists probably have more responsibility for Orban coming to power in the first place. Oh yeah, especially in the way that they operated post communism. They have more of a responsibility than they like to think. He's not as far away. He's their mutant child. Mm. He's as he is the son of IMF reforms. He's the son of neoliberalism. Mm. He's that Frankenstein's monster of neoliberalism. Yeah. You know, it's and just the idea that like disavowing, saying this is a this is disgusting. We would never. And it's like you're not taking full responsibility for this. Mm. You know. Yeah, I never do. Okay, finally, want to talk about. Two TV programs have been on at the moment on the BBC. Okay. Now, one of them is, I think it's just had one episode so far, but all of it's up on Michael mm-hmm. Um And the other one, I don't know how many episodes it's in now, it's getting towards the end, um, The Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. So it's Bodyguard and Killing Eve. And okay. Killing Eve got delayed, I think, because of a very perfume as poison episode. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you were telling me about it earlier. It's like yeah, it's very, one of the episodes it's, is like it's, it's scripple-tastic. They they give uh, a poisoned perfume to yeah. one of their assassination targets. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, but the thing is, it's weird because I watch a lot of telly, mm-hmm. and I had to watch Bodyguard because yeah. of Holly. And you have a professional interest. Yeah, and Bodyguard, it's doing really well. Mm, but I, people at work are talking about yeah, it. but it's really depressing. It's like um, it's grey, yeah, really grey, like grey as in, in tone and palette. Yeah, it's just unbearable. It's all it's interested in, and this is the thing that Jed Mercurio does. He's the writer. He's mm-hmm. um, he's always he's only interested in saying things are shit and what, people are what shitty. What else did you said? What else did Jed Mercurio do? Um, Line of Duty and Bodies. 
don't know if he started ah, things okay. as well. Um, Bodies was what because he used to work in a hospital. I think he might have been a doctor. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, that was about doctors and um, Blood of Duty is about corrupt cops. Okay. Um, and it all it's putting out in the world is that same old kind of yes minister thing of everything's shit. Don't bother. Um, the bodyguard. It's about this PTSD ridden soldier mm-hmm. who's now a bodyguard for a home secretary who is sexy Theresa May. Played by Keely Horse. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, the start of it, the first episode, and I was furious after watching this first episode. It's like, it's a 20 minute propaganda piece for aren't the British police just the loveliest? Because even <laughs> when someone's standing there with a suicide vest on, they will risk their lives even though they're children in the next train carriage, the only to thing, save that woman's life. The only thing they love more than the law is respecting Muslims. Yeah, it was, <laughs> um, it was unbearable. But it's, it's yeah, um, it's got this recurring thing, like a lot of Mercurio stuff, that, and like quite a lot of stuff written by men of a certain age now, yeah. where um, it doesn't matter if, if you actually believe in something, because mm-hmm. no one actually believes in something that much they'll always give up their because like he's an ex-soldier who really hates the home secretary for sending him to war yeah. but he does start banging her pretty quickly <laughs> because of course he doesn't really have any scruples because no one has scruples it's a very Gen X product that's a, a product yeah. of like early 90s kind of end of history stuff of like everybody is a liar everybody is a cynic yeah it's um, it's got um, edgelord stuff yeah and the problem is when you, your characters don't really believe in anything all you've got to like keep you watching is the tension yeah and that, that stuff I think it's like the lose I think it's a to lose thing um, of like when you lose um, caring about each other in community all you have left is id craving frills and pleasure yeah like sure, just that sure. stress yeah um, and without that stuff all it is is just a by the numbers thriller it's just yeah. a it's just a mystery um, I couldn't get past the second episode. Yeah. I, sure. ch- I watched about 20 minutes of the third episode today, and it was like walking through a tree, it was terrible. Um, but it's done really well. and it's sort of, As it's in, like, it's, it's been very popular, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, like, the ratings are really... And yeah. It's doing a weird thing, because um, tradit- normally, in TV, ratings go down. Yes, yeah, after the first yeah. episode. This yeah. one, the ratings are going up, which ah, is a very okay. good sign. There's a lot, a lot of positive buzz about it. Hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a weird thing. It's got that... There are programs that do well because they just reinforce people's worldview, mm-hmm. and they make them feel smart. Yeah, Twenty Four made people feel smart, even though it was dumb as hell. I mm, people felt smart. What? No, 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 I don't those think those kind of mystery things. Smart. People, no, people watch those kind of things like um, like um, the Blacklist and things like that, and Sherlock. Yeah, sure. The Blacklist feel, and Sherlock definitely. Yeah, I that, would that, disagree yeah, about Twenty Four. Those yeah. kind of no, shows. I know what you mean. Yeah, um, and these kind of mysteries they do suck people in. Yes, yeah. people watch Lost till the end. They I, didn't like it. I did, <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see how old the people who watch who watch this this are. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people like our age talking about it, and I'm a bit surprised about that. Yeah, because I'd thought this was pretty solidly aimed at fifty year olds. Like, are you saying it's in solid centrist dad demographic? Territory? Oh, definitely. Especially with Keely Hawes being the toy. Yeah, she's very yeah. much like boomer toy. Yeah. Um, yeah, whereas Killing Eve, mm-hmm. it's very similar. Yeah. Um, by the numbers, catch me if you can, spies and assassins kind of stuff. But okay. there is a big difference. 
and that is colour. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun. It has laughs in it. People actually, yeah. it's an enjoyable script. Mm-hmm. It there are lovable characters. Um, whereas, like, whereas the, um, the bodyguard, it just tells you that politicians are shit. Um, every everyone is morally um, tainted. Mm. Don't trust anyone. This has this will constantly say about saying that assassins are good people. Yeah, we'll say like this Russian this Russian spymaster is a good man, and things like that. Um, because they are they're lovable characters, and that will make yeah. you watch it for watch it longer. Make you like you like these people. Um, the main, one of the main things it does it uses this it uses this thriller format, which is something that. You, you, there's certain programs that you kind of have to make you have to when you're pitching a program you're gonna get it made yeah. way more likely if it's about cops yeah if sure. if, you know, so, so yeah. like using this thriller format they've snuck in a really nice gay will they won't they yeah which is really uh, we were talking about that the other day can you remember the last anti-cop drama no like not necessarily like wholly like entirely about being against cops, mm. but that didn't paint, paint uh, that, that didn't paint cops in a good light. That in um, fact wasn't actually, just ambivalent about them either. Um, line you, of Duty did, but even then, Line of Duty did it painted some of the cops as bad the, because there were the good cops trying to catch the, ba- the, the bad, bad cops. apples. Yeah, but like you said, like Red Riding. Yeah, I think it was probably Red Riding that had like they were yeah. they were all shitty, and that but that paints journalists as good. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the greatest crime <laughs> straight to TV prison. <laughs> but um. Realist, the thing is, when it comes down to it, um, the main difference is people care about each other properly in Killing Eve. Yeah. Even their enemies, they like them. Yeah. They love them. Yeah. Um, it's which makes it more realistic. It's like in a much, it's a heightened world. It's you know, assassin, international assassins working for secretive groups, nice. doing this weird, chaotic system of assassinations to do something that we're not even sure what they're doing. Yeah. But it's emotionally very truthful. Yeah, sure. Which makes it more believable and easier to go along with. Um, whereas the it makes people more easier to love, whereas the bodyguard is completely alien to like me. Yeah. Because everyone is shit. It's... Everyone is compromised. No one believes in anything. Everyone is this kind of sad, grey traitor who's only powered by like oh bang. It's T V shorthand for uh, authenticity mm. is grimness. Yeah, yeah. It has become like, and definitely like, if you com- like compare and contrast like the serious programs with the fun programs, mm. people like the fun programs. Oh yeah, but there's a certain sense of got to have oh, vegetables. Oh well, that that wouldn't that wouldn't happen. That yeah. wouldn't that person wouldn't laugh. Yeah, and it's like no, people laugh all the time. Mate. Yeah, there's um like one of it's one of the main differences. There's like so many like these little differences, but the characters in Killing Eve have flaws that make them lovable. Yeah, sure. Whereas the characters in the bodyguard have um, have flaws that just make them deep. Yeah, which just makes it shitter. If you know what I mean? Because I love like their their deepness is just them pulling a face. I love that thing in so many British dramas I've seen. Whenever you have a politician, even if they're not the centre of the um, the the story, mm. um, they never say what party they're from. Yeah, yeah, and I know that goes back to like. Yes, Minister kind of, you mentioned it before, like Yes, Minister being clever mm. about its being apolitical. So it's uh, an apolitical political show, by which I mean they just paint a political class that is devoid of any kind of... Um, any even, even if they don't have currently... They don't currently believe in any ideology. Mm. At some point, 
an ideology made them join that thing. And yeah. like having them betray that is kind of like an interesting narrative point. But it's it often feels with like those really grey, very boring like uh cop dramas or whatever, they don't add in a history. Mm. They say like I don't believe in anything. And it's like, well, I mean, in order to come to that conclusion, you must have believed in something and been betrayed or something. Yeah. You know, like it's a very like one dimensional way of, mm. of dealing with it. Mm. There's um it the thing is, ultimately my problem with the bodyguard yeah and why I like Killing Eve is that like me and my wife talk about it quite a lot. It's um it's very important what you put out in the world. Yeah, sure. Like and it's like a kind of responsibility, especially when you you're like especially at Jed Mercurio's level of being a writer yeah. who can pretty much make what he wants mm-hmm. and people will will like make his stupid shows. Um and whilst Killing Eve it puts out a kind of a message of kind of nice. It's like it's hopeful and romantic, um, despite being about you know a serial murdering mm-hmm. international assassin. Whereas the bodyguard just puts out this you know everything is shit, and it only offers these kind of momentary reliefs, these moments of momentary relief from stress. But all the stress it's caused itself. Heavily muscled men sitting in armchairs with a single whiskey. Yeah, that kind of shit. That kind of shit. Also, yeah. the star is um, the worst Stark. Oh, it's um, Rob Stark, isn't it, yeah. from um, Game of Thrones? Um, but it is also quite interesting to know that The Bodyguard is written by an old white man mm-hmm. and Killing Eve has been adapted by a young woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty certain, we'll see, because um, it's only just started now, Killing Eve, I'm pretty certain that the demographic of viewers is going to be significantly lower for Killing Eve. Yeah. Um, but it will get written off because of that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, even if it has... Even if it does well among that age group, because of how badly the BBC does with that age group, it will do quite badly. Yeah. But they love it in America, and it's already got a second series, so you know, fuck oh, cool. you, BBC. The All reason, right. oh, that's the thing, and the other reason why it's managed to be good, while the bodyguards managed to be shit, is because there was American money in with Killing Eve, and the American funders don't tend to listen to notes from the BBC, and so <laughs> things get made better. But yeah, it's like it's basically, it's really nice that these two things have come out at the same time, that are very about very similar things. But one is so much better, so much better, and one of the main things is one of them has people smiling. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird thing. I don't watch a lot of like British stuff made after nineteen ninety three mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's just endlessly, pointlessly depressing. It's not even interesting. Mm. It's just boring. Mm-hmm. It's trying to communicate some kind of realness to you, but it's no realness you've ever seen. No, not um, at all. No, there's like it's it's everything went wrong when instead of making programs like Bugs, they started making programs like Spooks. Yeah, David Suchet just got too old to play Poirot anymore, <laughs> and that's why I stopped watching. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it for this week. But yeah, go watch Killing Eve; it's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's us for this week. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo. You can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And that's us for this week. Thanks. See ya. Bye.